Yes, indeed. We do need that revolution, a peaceful, healthy revolution to bring us the light, the knowledge, how to live informed lives. You are listening to Bernadette Pager on an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. And we're streaming on the air in the Puget Sound region in Seattle and by podcast, by YouTube. We're trying to reach as many uh, people as we can to give them information in these crazy times to make really good decisions. Um, And yes, it's only three o'clock, not four o'clock. We are so excited to announce that, you know, we're adding an extra hour thanks to Children's Health Defense. We have got an uh, extra hour of programming to bring to you every single week. Um, We're just thrilled with this, this partnership, with this amazing organization. So the way we'll do it is the first hour, between three and four every Friday, we're going to be bringing you the people who make Children's Health Defense. You're going to learn about these amazing people. We're going to bring you the the news and the action, the legal action um, and investigations that their team does. Um, And it's going to be so fantastic. And then we'll move into our second hour, which will be our informed health hour. Um, Just as we have been in the past, we're going to continue to bring you medical science and legal experts to keep you informed about your health choices. And as always, we're not giving medical advice or legal advice. Um, And we don't even want you to take our word for it. We're just a starting point. We're bringing you information you may not have heard anywhere else. And we invite you to go explore. If you go to our website or to Children's Health Defense website, you're going to find information that's hyperlinked to the references, to the citations, to the science, so that you can make up your own mind. You know, that is so important. So um, some of you might be new to Children's Health Defense. So who are they? Well, in their own words, the Children's Health Defense Team is devoted to the health of people and our planet. Our mission is to end the childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards so this never happens again. We do what we do for many reasons. Some of us have children who have been injured. Some of us Some of us have seen an injustice and feel the need to step in where others fear to tread. Some of us are focused on the demand for scientific integrity, others on improving the health of this and future generations. Some of us are eager to help any way we can. But the one thing we all share is our passionate belief that we have public health policy and practices that are harming our children. For the future good health of our children and planet, we call for more research and more transparency. So each week from three to four, as I said, we're going to be bringing you Children's Health Defense. And we are starting off today with the one that one and only Laura Bono. I don't know why I can't get words out today, Laura. I feel like I'm tripping over my tongue. Full moon or something here. So Laura Bono is currently the executive director of Children's Health Defense, and she has worked for CHD, as we call it, since it was founded in 2016. It was previously the World Mercury Project. Before that, she worked in various journalism and marketing positions in publishing companies for over 30 years. Since her son regressed after his vaccinations in the early 1990s and was subsequently diagnosed with heavy metal toxicity and autism, Laura advocated for services, biomedical treatments, and civil rights for autistic children, vaccine injured, and 
she petitions them through Congress, NIH, CDC, HHS, and other governmental agencies. Laura is a co-founder and chairman emeritus of the National Autism Association and was on the board of directors for Safe Minds from 2005 to 2015. Laura is currently a member of the National Institute of Environmental Sciences Public Interest Partners. I want to, let's try to remember to get back to that, Laura. She's, I can see her there nodding and, and, and that's something I had never heard before. So I'd like to hear more about that. Okay. But Laura also served as a planning committee member and was a speaker for the 2007 Institute of Medicine IOM workshop, Autism in the Environment, Challenges and Opportunities for Research. And, uh, you know, I'm going to segue here to say, wow, you were on this committee. And I dare to say that 14 years later, none of, none of it has been done, you know, um, not for lack of trying on our side, your side, right? She also served as a community advisory board member for the NIEHS, Early Autism Risk Longitudinal longitudinal, I can't say that, investigation um, study, the National Institutes of Mental Health. Um, and Laura has helped to plan and execute the 2005 Safe Minds National Autism Association Collaborative Workshop, Environmental Factors in Neurodevelopmental Disorders. You can hear, you can, you know, she is so committed to helping others. Y you will find that this is the journey of the people at CHD and Informed Choice Washington. Our journeys are very similar. Laura was instrumental in the passage of the, of the Combating Autism Act, working to increase the NIH funding for the environmental triggers of autism, specifically autism mercury research. Her advocacy has also included planning press conferences, rallies to focus on the media attention on the link between vaccines and adverse health outcomes in children, including autism. We don't shy away from that on this show. Along with other directors of Safe Minds, her son's autism story and Laura's advocacy was chronicled in the book, Evidence of Harm, Mercury and Vaccines and the Autism Epidemic. Welcome, Laura Bono, to an Informed Life Radio. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I just It's just so wonderful. And I'm so grateful for CHD's uh, work and for the generosity in helping sponsor an extra hour of bringing such vital information to the public. It's, it's just wonderful you're here. So if you don't mind, I'd love to start off just having people get to know you. Who, who is Laura Bono and what pulled you into this movement? Because I have to say, that nobody enters the vaccine critical, shall we say, movement without a whole lot of soul searching because, you know, nobody likes to throw away their good name, their reputation, their potential for a career or being hired or being published in many places. But when you enter this, you know, you're entering something that's going to get you a lot of attacks. So what made you brave to enter? You know, that's such a great question. Um, it, it ultimately had to be, my son is Jackson, and um, I, I actually called it, my, uh, my husband and I, Scott, called it stepping out. And, and we encouraged other parents to do it. And, it. and, you know, I love the fact that you said be brave, because it is, it's a, you realize that when you come out with something like this, you are also exposing your child and but we felt like for his sake you know his injury should not go in vain right his mm -hmm. injury 
had to be chronicled and and it had to be discussed and 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 bringing his story if i could change one person to to double to double check behind look at the research um think twice about getting a vaccine um that might harm their child and you know jackson just for your you know your viewership and readers i mean listening audience you know he was a, a completely normal child and was make hitting all of his milestones um and at his 18 month vaccinations um went in and um received six i think six vaccinations in one day um and he regressed um within two weeks he was gone i mean screaming all night um, huge lump on his thigh from where the shots went in. Um, and by the time two weeks went by, he no longer spoke. He no longer was listening. He, you know, he acted, I mean, he, it was like he had lost his hearing. He was just completely in his own world. And we started down that journey, um, mm -hmm. of what's wrong with him, you know, go, we lived outside of Washington, D.C. We went to Children's Hospital. What's wrong with our child? Um, scared, you know, of all the all the things, brain tumor. What, you know, what could be it? But we knew that it there was a line in the sand of he was fine and then he wasn't. And mm -hmm. his, his uh, regression was swift and cruel. And he his eyes um, would look at us like he didn't know what was happening to him. And, um, and I don't think he did, you know, and he couldn't tell us. And, um, so it, um, it just became this quest to find out what happened to him. And I, before the internet, I was in libraries looking up everything I could possibly find anything that could help him. And we spent all the money we had and, you know, just trying to get this child back and, and he's not, you know, he'll, I mean, he's a lot better. And, and there was, not any money wasted and that was i will never look back and look at that and say it was because it wasn't but mm -hmm. every because everything we did helped him everything with the immune system that we did for him helped him but he will always need 24 7 care wow wow thank you so much for sh sharing that personal story i know so much goes into that i've got the chills just listening to it and I've heard it so many times over and over and over. Hundreds um, of thousands of times, which of course led me to National Autism Association and starting that organization. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it's so, one of the things that's so infuriating, I encourage um, listeners to, to go see 1986, The Act, brilliant documentary film. Um, told through the point of view of a couple who just find out they're pregnant. And so they begin to research vaccines and the history of vaccines. And through that vehicle, you see the history of our government and public health agencies working with the pharmaceutical industry with all good intentions, you know, um, but realizing from the very beginning that if if the general public heard about some of the risks that they were discovering and some of the problems, it would undermine faith in the vaccine program. And so it's been decades of the marketing messages not matching the science. You see that in the film, 1986, The Act. You understand how we got to be where we are. You understand that right now, while we've got two 
investigational emergency use vaccines on a novel platform never used in human beings before, where we're seeing all sorts of adverse reactions and deaths, we have the CDC and our departments of health in the state saying, it's safe and effective, go get it. That disconnect is so bizarre, but when you a little bit know the history and you've seen it, um, and uh, one other thing I wanna point out, I'm inspired by what you said, is I always point parents to the CDC webpage about autism. Just look up CDC vaccines autism, you'll get right to the page. On there, they um, point to a study from 2013, what they call the antigen study. And they say, see, this is further proof that vaccines don't cause autism. And you go read that. And it's tobacco science because it's comparing children who got vaccines with a certain amount of antigen, which is the viral or bacterial component, and children who got a different amount of antigen. And then the study concludes the, the level of antigens um, children are exposed to does not um, cause autism. It doesn't influence. Well, that doesn't tell you anything, right? Well, um, think, yeah. Uh, but it, it doesn't tell you anything. And yeah. uh, well, we for, all for some children, aspirin, can we? I mean, no. You know, so so right. we're all different. And um, Jackson got the same vaccine as probably another little boy, same yeah. age. Um, we don't know long-term mm -hmm. what the, the other little boy will end up. Maybe the other little boy will have a lot of allergies. Maybe he'll end up with seizures at some point. Maybe he will um, have learning disabilities. Maybe he will get cancer. I mean, we don't know. I mean, that's the point. That's the point. We still do not know, and people don't know this, that there, we still do not have a study, a definitive study from CDC that looks at all health outcomes of vaccinated versus all health outcomes of the unvaccinated. Now, you'll hear people tell you that their unvaccinated children are the healthiest. You know, they had my two children. I had, I have three. My daughters were born before Jackson. They were fully vaccinated and I vaccinated Jackson. But that's where when I ended up having the problem, right, with mm -hmm. Jackson. But other parents who have their child first, the, the child that's vaccine injured, and choose not to vaccinate their other children, they say that those children are so smart, so together, no attention problems, no sicknesses. Um, and we, as a society, need to look really long and hard of what we're doing to our children and what we are believing that these agencies who have a a conflict of interest um, and and you know money trail um, what they are putting into our children exactly exactly and we luckily now have a brilliant um Vax Unvax study that's independent by Dr. Paul Thomas and Dr. J James Lyons-Weiler that's uh, rigorously peer-reviewed and published. You can find that on Informed Choice Washington and also Children's Health Defense covers that study. You can find links to it and read it for yourself. Um, that antigen study, though, I want to I want to go on. So, so not only was it uh, tobacco science, but the authors at the end of that study describe your son, Laura, because they say in cases of regressive autism in which a child is developing normally and then regresses into autism, we cannot rule out environmental causes, including vaccines. 
So if people just dip, so here they have this whole page devoted to telling parents, don't worry, vaccines don't cause autism. And their chief citation actually says the opposite. The truth is right below the surface. And that's what we beg people to do. Don't listen to the marketing messages. Go deeper, go to the citations. Does the citation in full, read it, read the appendixes or read everything about it. Does it back up the statement? And you're gonna find no, 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 right? <laughs> right, and, and well, and to your point of not listening to the marketing messages, but digging deeper. Mm-hmm. On our website, we pulled together all of the adverse events that are listed in the product inserts. So now for a long time, DPT, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know, but you know, cause I go in, I trusted and I got DPT for my son, but right in the product insert, it said that autism was an adverse event, right? I mean- Yeah, that one brand that Tripedia yeah. or something, yeah. And of course, maybe your listening audience doesn't know, but you cannot sue a vaccine manufacturer. So they have complete immunity. You can go through a, a program, um, in the government, uh, it's called the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, but very, very few cases ever win. It is the parent with their lawyer that they can barely pay for because they're paying for all the medical treatments like we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know about the program at the time. So there's only a three-year statute of limitations. So we didn't even know about it and never, um, we put in a case many, many years later, but that was part of our Be Brave We wanted to put that out there, that this happened to our son, even though we knew there was no way he was ever going to get compensated. But in any case, um, you know, right there in the product inserts um, was autism. So So Children's Health Defense decided to see, all right, what else is out there? So we pulled together all of these product inserts and there's over 400, Bernadette, over 400 things that are listed in the product inserts that our children are getting now. And Mm -hmm. I urge parents to go to the website. We did a wonderful chart of, you know, if you have something, if your child has an odd, you know, something going on besides allergies, you know, that you Mm -hmm. hear about, but you know, an odd diagnosis, go and look and see if that diagnosis has been listed there right for you in the product inserts that you didn't know about. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned, um, so a, a couple of years ago, I attended an event at a naturopathic university of all places that was very pro-vaccine. And I found the whole thing quite appalling because of the talk about misinformation. Um, one of the naturopaths said that don't bother looking at product inserts. It's just legal, legal mumbo jumbo that they have to put in and they never even update it once the product is released. So I immediately, I had my laptop with me. I pulled up an insert for a product and it had been out for like 30 years. And I showed the recent date of it. It had been updated just like two months ago. And on the break, I brought it up to this naturopath. And I said, not only are they um, completely updated as needed, but by law, any serious adverse event reported that has biological plausibility to exposure to the product, they are required to to put in the insert. What they're not required to do is do any investigation to find out for sure. 
They just have to list it and then their legal job is done. And that is what puts us in absolute parental limbo is all these parents around the world are reporting injuries. They're getting put on the inserts and nobody is doing the research to find out for sure what the heck is going on. The naturopath just walked away from me, had nothing to say, right? Well, and what they would end up saying too is the science, um, there's no link. They'll say that. Well, if you're not doing the science, right, you can't find a link, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and so that was a lot. And of course, so Safe Minds basically, um, which I was a part of for many, many years, and we paid for research. We, we you know, we fundraised specifically for research and for some of these FOIA documents that we ended up finding um, from the CDC before they stopped giving us any FOIA documents. But um, we were very proud of that. We realized that they were never going to fund the science and we had to fund it. And so just like you were saying a second ago about Dr. Paul Thomas and Dr. James Lyons Weiler, they have done the research and several others before them, but they're, and, mm -hmm. but the government isn't doing it. They're not and doing it. They're, that, that is yeah. criminal. Um, for what they're doing to our children. Yeah, and you know, and they're they're following in their own footsteps with COVID. And what is so alarming is ever since public health agencies decided that vaccines would be their tool of choice for communicable infection, the research on treatments um, has, you know, it's so minimal compared to what they will do for vaccines. And and as soon as they decide they're going to target something with a vaccine, they hype up the fear. And it's, you know, you can go read actual presentations they've made on how to make people more fearful of the flu and all these things in order to drive up vaccine uptake. Instead of telling the public, calm down, there's a lot you can do, you know, wash your hands, take some vitamin D, you know, live a healthy lifestyle that that helps, you know, they don't, none of that. It's just the fear and the vaccine. And we saw that with COVID from the very beginning the federal government decided they were going to get some um, experimental rushed vaccines to market and the effective treatment protocols, which I've got two guests coming up. I've got uh, Dr. Um, David Brownstein coming up with his holistic uh, virus protocol. I'm so excited. And then Dr. Corey um, with that math plus and the mask plus protocol with ivermectin that's coming up at the four o'clock hour. Um, so, and I see, well, we've got just a few more minutes here before we go to a break. So um I would love to move on now. So you had this personal tragedy that you decided to turn into a passion to help others. Um, and then how did you get, get connected with Bobby Kennedy and Children's Health Defense and all that? Well, so I, you know, all of this time, I had a full-time job, of course, you know, Jackson was expensive, all of his medical treatments and many times weren't covered. And so I, I had a full-time job during all of this, but I, Scott and I started National Autism Association with several other parents and, um, and we were very happy there of pushing our, um, advocating for autism and for autism treatments and for the government to study autism, doing more, as you mentioned at the, um, at the top of the hour of, you know, the things that we did for Combating Autism Act, all of that. Um, but Jackson, of course, was heavy metal injured. There was, they were putting what's called 
thimerosal into vaccines. It's, it's a mercury-based preservative that was in a lot of the vaccines except for the live ones. So the MMR vaccine didn't have it, chickenpox didn't have it, but DPT, Haemophilus influenza B, hepatitis um, B, all of those had thimerosal in the 90s and early 2000s and the flu shot. So we, some children just cannot process that as like other children. And Jackson obviously was one of those kids. He got, um, I think it was 45 times the amount of mercury that a grown man should have. And he got that in one day. So he just could not process that much mercury. And so several years down the road, um, I mean, he was already 10 or 11 when we even found out that the mercury was in the shots. And so we tested him and it was mind boggling how much mercury he had in his system. So we started chelating him, which is a process where you take medicine, FDA approved medicine, and it pulls the mercury and other metals from your body safely with children. Mm -hmm. And he did get better. And so there was no doubt in our mind that mercury was a big part of what was going on with Jackson. And he mm -hmm. was allergic to it to boot. So if you have mm -hmm. all these metals in your body and you're allergic to them, your immune system is just firing constantly. And so that was a lot of the issue. So Bobby Kennedy was going around the country um, at the time uh, talking about mercury and fish. And mm -hmm. so a bunch of moms decided, well, we're going to let him know that our children are mercury poisoned. So we had a list of all the cities that Bobby Kennedy was going to be in. And we decided that we were going to have a stack of papers and we were going to go hand it to him in all of these different places. And so that's what we did for, you know, I don't know, six months. We also found out about Sarah Bridges, which he talks about that Sarah knew him and we would be able to hand the documents to him that he could at least read. This was a man that understood what mercury, because you know you got from the CDC, oh, it's just trace amounts, trace mm -hmm. amounts, no mm -hmm. problem. Don't look behind the curtain here, people. There's nothing to look at, right? And we knew that he would understand. So we wanted to get that into his hands. Um, and he started looking into it. When he was ready to start World Mercury Project, he reached and out to Mercury moms who, because he knew, we knew the science, we had the passion and we could help with organizations like that. And so it began and it was Lynn Redwood and me and Bobby starting World Mercury Project back in 2016. I, I, I love that. And so when, when he talks about this, sometimes he just, he didn't want to listen. He didn't want, it's not that he didn't want to listen. He didn't want to hear because he he knew what it meant he knew what it meant to enter this world and one of the reasons i so admire him is he comes from a line of very brave men who stand in their truth who yes. will stand up against forces who do not want to hear these truths and they paid with their lives yes and well, says it's the it's the worst job movies ever made yeah <laughs> Really bad job decision, very bad career move. But you know, but he know, but it, exactly what you're saying. He is, he's not going to stop. He knows the truth now, and we could see that passion in him, and and he mm -hmm. understood that any amount of mercury is bad, and putting it in a baby. And once mm -hmm. he started reading this research, he just he couldn't. I love. He did an interview, and he said, "I couldn't put my head down." 
and pretend that I had never read that. I once I knew it, I I had to help. You had to, and, and here we are. Yeah, and and we love him for it, and we love you. So you're the mom to blame you and Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of many. There was one a lot of, of it, and, and so I mean, yeah. you know, we got together and said, okay, this is this is somebody. But listen, you know, we weren't just targeting Bobby. So I don't want to say yeah. people were, you know, okay, this. Uh, Congressman Burton has said oh, yeah, that his yeah. grandson uh, was mercury injured and okay, we're going to contact Congressman Burton. And so we went after that. And, you know, we, we tried just anyone that would listen to us because we were getting shut out of, oh, it's just those moms, you know, they don't know mm-hmm. what they're talking about. Well, listen, listen to the moms, listen to you know, the and moms. It, and it's the one thing they can't take away from us, Bernadette. They can say, Oh, that's science or, Oh, there's no link, but they cannot take away the hundreds of thousands of stories. And they're all the same. We had a normal developing child and then we didn't. And it was after vaccines. And you know, it's the one story you just can't take away. And our doctors saw it. School teachers saw it. Preschool people saw it. Um, and and we know it's true. It's and the story the can't take thing. away, and it's the story the CDC's own science says they can't rule out. And with that, we're going to take a break. Um, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio sponsored by Children's Health Defense on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be right back. Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4th, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today.
Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. This is the new Children's Health Defense Hour, which will be coming to you every 3 to 4 uh, p.m. Pacific Time, uh, Fridays. And with me is Laura Bono of Children's Health Defense. And, you know, we went over her personal story that brought her on this journey, um, how she kind of hunted down and hounded Robert F. Kennedy Jr., her and other Mercury moms, as they called themselves, in order, you know, and, and once he learned, he already knew about Mercury. And once he learned about the vaccines, he couldn't unknow it. And, and thereby was launched the World Mercury Project. But a few years ago, um, the, the mission had so expanded, I believe, that a new title was in order. So, Laura, do you want to um, explain that, how that came about? Sure. Um, well, almost immediately, Bobby knew, Lynn and I knew that it was, it was bigger than World Mercury Project. But it actually, World Mercury had, it had been incorporated by um, a man who had, um, he made the film Trace Amounts. And and it and so he started the the nonprofit and he was on the board and so he allowed us to Bobby to assume chairmanship and Lynn president to be able to get started with that because Bobby was ready to start immune, immediately we knew we needed to fight mercury and so that's how it started but as it grew and you know, a lot of the mercury was taken out of the shots and we knew mercury was not the only culprit. So I think that's important that we talk about that um, children's health defense. We we are looking into acetaminophen. It's a, a very it's a real problem mm -hmm. with, you know, children and it's not good for the liver. And we have some studies that it's showing that it can cause some developmental problems in children. Um, aluminum, there's pesticides, there's um, plasticizers, we're concerned about ultrasound, you know, so there glyphosate, food additives, there's a there's a list of culprits that we are fighting against on our website. Um, but that was a short list of them. And we felt like it was important to then go after those things. And so because we can't just say that it was mercury. It wasn't just mercury, but it's a lot of things. And it depends on susceptibility where it was a problem for Jackson to have the mercury. There's, um, there's studies that show aluminum is maybe more harmful to girls and the Gardasil shots have a lot of aluminum. And so that might be leading to the problem with the Gardasil girls. So mm -hmm. we wanted to be able to educate people to, for all of those things. So children's health defense, if you think of it, a three-legged stool, we do research, we do education, and we do litigation. And mm -hmm. all of those things moving forward, um, we feel like we're going to stop these childhood epidemics. And it's very exciting. Um, CHD, along with ICANN, the Informed Consent Action Network, for the first time really um, we have such hope on the legal front because moms like you and, and moms all over the world have been educating for a very long time, but we, it's been so frustrating trying to get any legal action. And thanks to these brilliant lawyers and so much dedication and not giving up, 
you know, over and over, find another angle, find a way to get the truth into court. And it's happening. It's very exciting <laughs> what yeah. is happening. Um, and it, you got to chip away at it one a little bit at a time. Um, so and but I feel like I, I'm really it. I hate that anybody has been harmed by COVID-19. And I hate that anybody has been harmed by the response to COVID-19. But whenever there is disaster and tragedy, there are, you know, from the ashes of disaster grow the roses of success, you know, I'm a Pollyanna. And the gift of COVID in a way has been the eye opening. So many people see the flaws of public health now that they never saw before. They see the CDC saying things, they see the federal government saying things that don't match what they know and they're angry. And so I feel like it's going to lead us to better health. You know? Well, you know, so you, as you and I read some of these um, stories on the internet about nurses, doctors, um, doctor that died in Florida that they can't rule out that it was vaccine, uh, this COVID vaccine nurses, we, they are, they show a great sense of betrayal and, and certainly I felt that, you know, my government has betrayed me because they told me that vaccines were safe and they're not, you know, and that was, so they're realizing that. And just through January 7th, Bernadette, there's been 6,700 injuries mm -hmm. to the vaccine in, to the vaccine adverse events reporting system, VAERS, um, and 66 deaths. Yep. And the government says themselves, there's a study that says they only capture 1% you know, it's a passive system. Mm -hmm. So they're not capturing all of the injuries. So for sure, 6,700 people are now going, wow, maybe all of those parents that have said their child was injured after vaccines, maybe it's true now because I was injured after COVID. So, um, and I'm, I'm so sorry, we don't ever want that to happen. In fact, we've been doing everything in our power to get that information out to tell people to beware, to know what they're doing, to read the research, to read what Moderna and Pfizer told FDA. Mm -hmm. It's in the documents, what they told them about, you know, the adverse events and what they were getting in the trials. And yet it was went ahead and was passed, as you said, by emergency authorization. And um, those people will not be able to sue for any of their injuries. They won't be able to get their hospital bills covered nothing. Um, and it's very sad. It really is. And especially since they knew, and we told them, reminded them that they knew. So talk about like, especially the PEG, the ingredient, um, polyethylene glycol, the PEG, uh, tell about what, um, what Bobby Kennedy filed with the FDA or presented to them, warning them. Right. So as early as September, Bobby sent a Mr. Kennedy yeah. sent a note to, sorry everyone um, sent a note to um, Peter Marks who is FDA he's in charge of vaccines there at FDA um, Stephen Ham uh, at FDA and also copied Anthony Fauci and he said um, that this polyethylene glycol was in the vaccines and we had we have science as much as seventy percent of the population have a problem with polyethylene glycol. It's not an unheard of thing. Um, there were studies shut down even, I found out at Duke, which I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, um, a study shut down where um, a medication they were giving um, a heart patient 
had um, polyethylene glycol. It was a it was a test. It was a clinical trial, and it killed the man. Um, he had agreed to be in the clinical trial, not knowing. So it's it's out there that this is a, a harmful ingredient. Mm-hmm. We found out it was in the vaccines. We let them know that this is going to cause problems. You're going to have adverse events from this. And they actually, it's on our Children's Health Defense website. I believe it was November 29th, I think is my date. I could be mistaken, but it was at the end of November, 1st of December, their director of communications for FDA wrote to us and said, thank you very much for your letter, but you'll have to take that up with the manufacturer. What? So, oh yeah. <laughs> so, and that, and that email was copied back to Anthony Fauci, to Stephen Ham, to uh, Peter Marks at the FDA. And um, so I think, did I say Ham is Han a- at the FDA? And uh, so they know, they knew it was there. They had, they were copied on emails. And, um, and now we know that PEG, it's, um, the <laughs> short for polyethylene glycol is causing some of these injuries, not all, but mm-hmm. some of the injuries that we're seeing. Yeah, it's it's just so appalling and so much for transparency and so much for FDA regulators protecting the American public as promised. They right. knew they, in advance and they acted so surprised. Oh gosh, we're seeing anaphylaxis following oh, like they didn't expect it. They absolutely abdicated their role for regulating what was in those vaccines and what the manufacturers themselves were saying. And for us to just say, follow up with the manufacturer um, was appalling. And yet there it is. That's precisely what is happening. And so buyer beware. Yeah. And then um, a couple of weeks after the, uh, the vaccines were out, the CDC did have a meeting at which they then said, um, if you have allergy to PEG or to polysorbate, they said there may be crossover reactions to polysorbate, which is in the vaccine, that it's contraindicated. But the problem is they're not checking. People don't always know that they have an allergy to PEG or polysorbate, um, you know, because ingestion, g- getting exposure to these things topically or to ingest them, which is how most people get exposed to them, they don't always cause the same reaction. Then you go ahead and inject them and you're already sensitive. That's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different immune reaction. One of the things I'm really concerned about, Laura, is when they begin to um, vaccinate children, especially children on the spectrum and with different neurological disorders, because many of them, you know, it's a gut brain connection for a lot of these injuries. And a lot of them have digestive issues and constipation issues, and they are put on a product called Miralax, which the active ingredient is PEG. So these children are potentially at much higher risk of a severe adverse reaction to these vaccines and their, their populations are targeted before the general population. That's correct. So how do we get the word out? That's the problem. The government should be, our government should be warning these populations, at least do a sensitivity test first. They're doing nothing. And so it's up to you and me, you know, sitting in our living rooms, you know, reaching out to the community, calling other moms, calling other medical freedom organizations, saying, how do we get the word out? And we're being censored every step of the way, you know? Well, it's quite clear. It's not like these... So far, the adverse events are happening 
in a pharmacy, someone gets a shot and they go home and maybe that's when they have the heart attack and we really don't know. They're, they're very clear. They're happening in the hospital. People are having to go in and get an EpiPen. I mean, the nurse goes from one floor where she got the shot down to the emergency room to get an epi and then another epi and then more steroids and you know all of these things just to stop these horrible reactions in the nursing homes. There's nursing homes that roll out the cart and they give 24 very old fragile um, nursing home patients um, on one particular floor or one hallway um, the COVID shot and then several of them die and they realize that they they are seeing a pattern and mm -hmm. they are they're at least putting in these adverse events and yet no one's following up and they're just rolling right along um even knowing that these are adverse events and they're just going to give it to people anyway yeah and norway is warning that we you know and they changed their guidelines i believe they're they're dropping the age they they really want to slow down vaccinating anybody over 80 especially have if they have serious chronic illness because 33 or so deaths so far that they have seen and you know the hypocrisy here um Upon rollout to, you know, the elderly with chronic um, issues, our own government was saying, um, oh, don't worry and be surprised if people uh, die soon after getting the vaccine, they're elderly and they have chronic health issues. So, you know, we don't know for sure if it will be the, if it's the vaccine. And yet, if the very same person gets a positive PCR test, no symptoms, but a positive PCR test and dies, we are told, oh my goodness, it's horrific. Everybody go home, lock up, mask up. Um, you know, it's terrible. These people are dying. Um, you know, and you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I don't want anybody to die from the vaccine. I don't want anybody to die from COVID, but we're supposed to just shrug off the vaccine deaths, right? <laughs> I mean, we're working night and day to get this information out to people. So yeah. we're trying to prevent all of this. It right. Is it's really, um, it's very difficult for me to look at it every day. It's, um, it's shell shock. It's, I, I've been through it before. And then to see these people, these nurses, doctors being very frightened by what they're, what's happening in their own bodies and mm -hmm. knowing that it happened to my son and seeing it happen. And I don't want that to ever happen to any child, any no. adult. No. And we're working so hard and you're right. Um, you know, we need to do more than what's happening. I mean, Hank Aaron died today. You know, it was- I heard that 18 days seven. after getting the Moderna vaccine. Yes. And I mean, uh, you know, they're going to say old people die. And yes, old people do die. Um, but there are cases of those 66 cases that I said are in the VAERS mm -hmm. database of nursing homes call, you know, putting in these adverse events that patient was fine, talking to them at 11:30 gave the vaccine 1:30 she died you know and it's just so 2 hours later 3 hours later from the vaccines um and and they're calling the nursing homes are calling that in not any yeah. of us they're seeing what's happening yeah and you know on the on the other side of things, as Children's Health Defense and Form Choice Washington and all of our groups, we are not just warning people about the dangers of, of the vaccine. We are offering solutions by, by trying to stay abreast of the latest treatments. 
you know, that there are options to protect yourself, to stay healthy. And there, there are um, options that people can do to keep a case from becoming serious. And our federal government has completely, and even our own state here, we petitioned our state to try to, to convene a, a committee of practitioners who can, who could discuss the current treatment options known, make, make this known to the public so that the public could reach out to their own practitioner for the, the health treatment of their choice. No, they said it wasn't in their wheelhouse. They couldn't do that. So they could spend billions promoting an investi investigational vaccine that they have no idea the safety or risk profile on, but they wouldn't convene a committee to talk about vitamin D or ivermectin or HCQ or, you know, any of the other thing, HBOT, any of the things that we know can really be helpful. So we're, go ahead. I was just going to add to that because I think it's really important for your listeners to know that. So these two vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna are mRNA vaccines. It's messenger RNA. And when we say that they are untested, yes, there was a clinical trial. They, they put out, you know, what they found in the clinical trial, but we've ne that is brand new technology. We don't know the long-term effects of giving anyone an mRNA vaccine. You know, it's not like a measles vaccine, which has been around for a while. And at least you go, well, you know, I mean, you and I could talk about that. Yeah. And it's not very safe, but the technology is, is old and, you know, archaic, but it, it is at least understood a bit. This mm -hmm. is completely new territory completely new. And the lipid nanoparticles on their own are troublesome. So many aspects of these vaccines are troublesome. And I can see why the pharmaceutical industry is thrilled with them. Um, because if you can inject somebody with little messenger RNA that will tell their bodies to make a specific um, protein, um, you can do that relatively swiftly um, and easily economically compared to some other therapies you might want to invent. And you can target all sorts of things. They want this technology to work. They've been trying to make it work for years and keep coming up with problems of autoimmunity um, and all sorts of things, which they never overcame before launching these products. Um, but we're getting close to um, the top of the hour here. Could you kind of give um, listeners an idea of some of the other things that Children's Health Defense is doing, some of the other legal actions you're taking maybe? Great question. Well, um, I think we have 15 different lawsuits that we're working on right now. Um, I don't know if your listeners will be will remember, but there was measles that was the epidemic du jour um, in New York um, a, a couple of years ago. And so Children's Health Defense supported those families who did not want to vaccinate against measles for whatever reason. You know, either they said that their child had already been injured. There was several of those. They didn't want their child to have it. Uh, they didn't want other other of their children who were genetically susceptible to have it. But it was um, they targeted those children and so did not let them back into school. We felt that was overstepping onto their individual rights. And so that was a lawsuit and it's still going on. Um, there's religious exemptions um, to vaccines in, um, well, in California, in New York, where we, but California um, was decided, but the New York one is still going on. And so there, that lawsuit's going on. There's, um, there, there was another where in special needs in New York as well, 
um, New York's been really bad about it, um, where they're not even letting special needs kids go and get their free and appropriate education that they call for um, if they're not vaccinated. Um, this one though, this next one, it's on medical exemption. We have, and it's an active lawsuit right now, where children in New York that have a medical exemption that from their own doctor, educators have been allowed to say, sorry, you don't have the vaccine, you can't go into school. But those children have a medical exemption from their doctor, which means the school is stepping over the relationship between a child and the doctor. And incredibly, now that a lot of New York and a lot of America, these children are in their homes in front of a computer trying to do schoolwork, they're not letting those children into the classrooms to even do computer work. So they have absolutely been told, you don't have an education if you don't get vaccinated. And so Children's Health Defense took up that legal battle. Um, we went up against the University of California uh, flu mandates and um, did not win on that. But um, the, the legal premise was used just recently for Massachusetts to be able to back off of mandates that they were saying for flu vaccinations. Mm -hmm. So flu mandates. So that was good. We felt like that was great. We've got a lawsuit against um, PCR testing. Um, students that were you know, having to get PCR tested um, all the time. And so we felt like that was an infringement of their rights. Um, so we're, and then we uh, sued Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg and their fact checkers because we clearly have the research. We, we show the citations. We have a very scientifically based article. We put it up on Facebook and it's taken down um, the censorship of saying that it's not true. So we, you know, stay tuned for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's so much. And I know you have a lot more there on your list, but we've, we've reached the end of the show here. And doesn't it go fast, Laura? <laughs> I'm, so thank you so much for coming on the show today, um, telling us your story, sharing uh, CHD with the, the listeners. Um, I'm really looking forward to every Friday bringing more news and information and the people of Children's Health Defense to listeners. Okay. So um, thank you so much. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to be taking a break, but we're going to be coming back at a little bit after four with Dr. Brownstein and Dr. Corey. So stay tuned. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.
Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best health care decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Yes, indeed, we do need that peaceful revolution, a revolution of health and light and knowledge so we can make informed choices in our lives. You're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. This is our second hour. We are now a two hour show. The first hour is from three to four, sponsored by Children's Health Defense. And we go over their news and meet with their wonderful people who are doing such great work in improving informed consent and improving the health and lives of children everywhere. And this hour, um, we've got two great guests lined up. So I'm not going to really take um, much time at all here today. I want to make sure that each gets um, maximum time to tell you um, the great information that they have. I just want to encourage listeners excuse me, listeners, to uh, visit informedchoicewa.org, to um, look at the new information that we have, to go to the bill tab. If you're in Washington state, go to the bill tab, look to see there's some really great bills that will help protect your medical freedom, that will provide some exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccines. Um, and there's, and we give you other recommendations of bills that we're watching that we are concerned about or hopeful for one way or another. So please check that out. Um, we get the government we ask for. And I think we've realized that living as complacent Americans, thinking, eh, there's nothing we can do, has sort of shrugged us into um, a very dangerous place. And so let's quit shrugging. Let's roll up our sleeves, uh, but not for a shot, um, and, and get to work to create the world we want to live in. My first guest today is Dr. Brownstein, and he's going to be talking about his holistic approach to viruses, because here at Informed Choice Washington, we don't believe in just bringing you a problem. We want to bring you some solutions so that you can make decisions not out of fear, but out of um, a, a base of knowledge. So Dr. David Brownstein is a board-certified family physician. He's one of the foremost practitioners of holistic medicine and is the medical director of the Center for Holistic Medicine in West Bloomfield, Michigan. Dr. Brownstein has lectured internationally to physicians and others about his success in using natural hormones and nutritional therapies in his practice. 
He's a graduate of the University of Michigan and Wayne State University School of Medicine and a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians and the International College of Integrative Medicine, where he is a board member. Okay, so he's going to be telling us about his brand new book, A Holistic Approach to Viruses, which is available at his website, drbrownstein.com, and we'll repeat that a couple of times during this hour. Welcome, Dr. Brownstein. Thanks for having me, Bernadette. Oh, I'm just thrilled that you're here. I've talked to you a couple of times in the past year, and it's been an interesting journey that you have been on. Um, is there something you'd like to start with to, to talk about? Well, the journey's been a little too interesting for me. I kind of like the uh, mundane way. You know, I practiced medicine for 30 years until, you know, March of 2019 or uh, 2020 with COVID, you know, when it hit us. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, you know, I watched COVID from the first reports out of China in December of 2019. And I followed every report thereafter. And, you know, when it was clear COVID was coming across the United States from west to east, um, the first cases were in your neck of the woods, I think, mm -hmm. your neck of the woods in California. And then a few weeks later, they made it to the east coast and, you know, Michigan on the way over. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a meeting, I remember having a meeting with my staff about uh, the end of February saying, you know, number, I, you know, you could feel the fear. The fear was, was palpable. The headlines were terrible. They were talking about millions dying in the U.S. and, you know, destroying our country and, and um, you know, a novel virus with no immunity and you know, the, the, the models were terrible. And, you know, my staff was scared. My patients were scared. And, you know, I had a meeting with the staff and I said, look, We've been treating flu-like illnesses for the last 28 years using a nutritional and oxidative approach. Our patients don't get hospitalized. They don't get pneumonia. They don't die anywhere near what the CDC reports the rates are across the U.S. You know, keep in mind every year, 20 to 80,000 people die from the flu. Um, our patients don't, you know, anywhere mm -hmm. near those rates. So I said, you know, we, we've treated other coronavirus infections undoubtedly. We never checked for it because we weren't tests for it. They take up about 30% of the flu-like illnesses every year. And I said, well, this one shouldn't be any different. It should, you know, if people have a strong immune system, they should be able to weather the storm, just like they can weather the storm from other, you know, viral illnesses. Mm -hmm. And I said, our therapy's worked in the last 28 years. It's basically the same therapy we've been doing with little tweaks as we learn new things. And I said, I think it'll work for this one. And I told the staff, we're not closing the office. Um, patients are going to need us more than ever. Um, I predicted that most doctor's offices were going to close. And um, I said, I'm staying open until either I get sick or I can't practice or, or the powers that be don't let me practice. And um, so we stayed open. We worked with about half a staff at the beginning of the crisis. We were as scared as anybody else out there. You know, I'm not the best patient to be treating viral illnesses. I have severe asthma. Um, a 65 degree scoliotic curve with lung involvement. And I have uh, an immune de deficiency that 1% of the population has. Mm. So w when I was growing up and through med school, I used to get colds and uh, viral illnesses every every month, one or two every month, it was miserable. Mm. And um, once I cleaned up my diet, once I got my nutrition in order, once I, once I corrected vitamin and mineral deficiencies and got my hormones rebalanced, I get maybe a cold or two a year and um, I'm no longer on inhalers and puffers and 
steroids periodically, which I used to have to take. And um, I feel better now than I felt when I was in my 20s and when I was in medical school. And so we started treating people and the holistic approach is, you know, orally using high doses of vitamins A, C, D, and iodine. And then part of that package is nebulizing a dilute solution of hydrogen peroxide and saline and iodine, nebulizing, you know, hydrogen peroxide, iodine, and saline in one mixture, a dilute solution. And if people needed more care or it wasn't quite doing the job, we'd have them come to the office and use intravenous doses of vitamin C, hydrogen peroxide, and ozone. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of people didn't need the IV stuff. Most people did well in the oral and the nebulized stuff. And, you know, it was it, this therapy has been proven it's worth over 28 years. So we started doing it for uh, our patients ill with coronavirus. And you know, I never made a claim that this treat coronavirus in any way. Our patients got sick like everybody else. But, um, you know, I, I felt before Corona hit and I felt now and I felt, you know, when I started off, hey, if we had a stronger immune system, we should be able to fight back against these things. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how would we survive as humans over the last, you know, millennia of life, you know? Um, so, so lo and behold, our patients did well. First 107 patients we treated in March and April, we had uh, um, no deaths. And I believe there was one hospitalization, one or two hospitalizations. Um, both of those were pretty good stories for our regimen as well. But I wrote it up as a peer-reviewed paper and got it published. And, um, you know, we've continued treating it. We've now, you know, well over 200 people. We're in the 230s right now and pretty much the same statistics. Um, and and our patients have done well. And, you know, you know, it's, it's too bad from the beginning of this crisis to now that the CDC and the NIH and the powers that be are not talking about the immune system because they've always been focused on this vaccine, but that we can't get over this without a vaccine, period. Mm -hmm. Well, I have news for everybody out there. If you don't have an immune system that's sharpened and ready to go, it ain't gonna respond to a vaccine very well either. The vaccine's mm -hmm. not gonna work. Mm -hmm. And if that vaccine is gonna work, it better have a strong immune system that's responding to it. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all about the immune system. And that's, that's, that's why I wrote this, you know, this is my book that just came out. Wonderful. And yes. So that is the um, a holistic approach to viruses, which is available on your website, drbrownstein.com, drbrownstein.com. Is it available anywhere else? Or are you just kind of keeping it there for now? You know, I've written 16 books, Bernadette, and you know, it's a mom and pop shop. It's Allison and myself, and she has mailed out every one of these books. We've sold a lot of books over the years, and um, she goes to the post office a couple times a day and mm -hmm. drops them off. And so now we're, we we just sell it. Um, I got frustrated with Amazon and some other carriers of books years ago, and we just decided we're doing it, you know, from our house, and that's what okay. we've done. So. All right. My book's on the way. I'll know that your wife packaged it up. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Her and I and my daughter, yeah. Jessie, because we're okay. We've all been recruited lately because we've gotten a deluge of orders as I sent out notice that the book was out. And so we've been uh, taping and packing and all going to the post office. I was there twice today and uh, yeah. making my rounds. Yeah. So, you know, through this whole thing, I have been so frustrated with the government's lack of promoting treatments and, and, and seeing the red tape and the regulations and the nonsense that prevents them really from talking about 
uh, treatments such as you're doing. So let's get into the education of the public because we're going to do what they won't do. And like your book has got laid out in beautiful chapters. So chapter one, why a holistic approach? And you've sort of already explained that because it works. <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's, it's just common sense. And this holistic, well, an approach that improves the immune system, however you're going to do it. And look, it's not just taking vitamins and nebulizing and, and IVs of vitamin C, eating a clean diet, keeping sugar out of your diet, drinking water, maintaining hydration, exercise, all that stuff, you know, just basic stuff helps you be healthier. And if you're mm -hmm. not healthy and if the immune system's not strong enough, forget getting the vaccine or even considering getting the vaccine because it's not going to work that well if the immune system's not strong. You need a good immune system for, to fight back against viruses and bacteria and other mm -hmm. stressors in the environment. And you need a good immune system if this vaccine is going to work to respond to it appropriately. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we, we spent the first hour talking quite a bit about the concerns of the investigational vaccines. Um, and then your chapter two, adaptive immune system. So this is going to be great. You're going to explain to your readers how their immune system works. And I love that because when you know how your immune system works, it's so empowering. It takes the fear out because you're, you're approaching from a knowledge base. I love that. You and then- when I was in medical school, um, I was taught how to diagnose pathology and how to prescribe the drug to treat that pathology. I was not taught about what health is and how to maintain it or really anything about health. It was just taught about disease and making the diagnosis. Now, I still use that basic model of, of taking history, doing a physical exam, ordering lab tests and evaluating and making diagnosis. That's invaluable. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I still utilize that, but now I utilize it with how can I help people be healthy doing mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. and, you know, getting the immune system, the adaptive and the innate immune system working together, you know, which is what should be happening. Um, you know, you can fight back against viruses. You don't have to end up in the hospital. You don't have to get pneumonia. You don't have to have breathing problems and ventilating and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I would love to us to begin to create language um, because we use it ourselves. We fight the virus and, you know, current science is really showing us we need to live in harmony, sort of at peace with viruses. So we, it's difficult to get away from that language of war. And um, so, and like I said, I'm using it too. I'm sort of squirreling here, but you know, when we make our, our bodies uh, healthy as they should be, we live in harmony with these things and they, they move through us. They strengthen us they by do. the exposure, right. Absolutely. When we're healthy. No, um, have a purpose, you know, it's, there's a purpose to getting a common cold, you know, once or twice a year. And the purpose is it stimulates the immune system. It allows drainage to occur from the body. You can drain stuff that needs to come out of your body. And in the end, it makes you stronger. Um, you know, I, I, I see it's, it's interesting. My partners and I talked about this many times that, you know, when I take my history from people on the first visit, you know, I say, how many colds a year do you get? If they tell me none, I got a big red flag on them that, you know, these are people who generally can get autoimmune disorders and cancer at higher rates than people who get a normal amount of colds a year. Now, I think that there's some adaptive benefit to, like you said, you know, humans have evolved over eons of time with virus exposure, getting ill from viruses and bacteria and getting over it. And if we didn't do that. We wouldn't be here right now. So, you know, look, if it's not coronavirus this year, it's going to be some other virus next year or the year after that that we're going to have to get used to. And yeah. it all comes down to having a strong immune system.
Yeah, so being prepared individually with a healthy immune system and then having on hand the the ready-to-go sort of general approach antiviral treatments such as you and many other wonderful physicians have devised over the past eight months, that is what we need because we can't chase every single new virus with billion-dollar um, vaccines that target them. Too many people die waiting for these things to come along, first of all, right? We, we need these products now. So your, um, your list of nutrients people have been hearing over and over, and yet it's so important. You've got vitamin A, vitamin C, and vitamin D. So we, you know, when, when I graduated medical school and residency and started practicing medicine after that, I was a regular conventional doctor. I never took a vitamin in my life. I never Never, never went to an alternative practitioner. Um, I was raised in a household where we didn't take vitamins. We just went to the doctor when we were sick and took whatever the doctor gave us. We didn't question anything. And when I started learning about holistic principles, and it really it's a lo longer story we don't have time for, but it occurred after my dad was really ill with heart disease. And patient gave me a book. I read the chapter on heart disease in that book, tried a couple things on my dad and he made a remarkable recovery. And I decided, hey, I didn't learn that in medical school. What else is out there I didn't learn? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I started, flu season comes around 20, 30 years ago, and I see patients getting hospitalized and getting sick and pneumonias and, you know, some dying. And I'm like, well, how can I, you know, why, why are they dying? Why are they getting sick? Why are they hospitalized and others aren't? You know, how do you strengthen the immune system? And that's how it started. So I started looking at drawing blood levels of people for vitamin C, A, D, iodine, you know, finding many of my patients deficient, you know, 97% actually deficient in iodine, wow. um, almost 100% deficient in vitamin D at that time. I was one of the first ones checking it. I remember calling the lab and saying, hey, why don't you offer a vitamin D3 test? You're only offering a D2 test. Um, D2 is for synthetic vitamin D. I don't want that one. I want the D3 test. Ah. And the lab had to research it and find it and, you know, offer it. <laughs> And um, they said, no one's, no one's ordering it. I'm like, I'll order lots of them. You, you just get it in your repertoire. <laughs> and um, so, um, you know, I started treating people with these doses and, and, you know, trying different ways to give it to them and, you know, continually reading, continually get, gathering information and, you know, came up with the protocol, the, the basic things that help stimulate the adaptive and the innate immune system. And I describe all that in my book with citations and, you know, how it works and why you want the symphony to work together. Um, you know, this, these vaccines that are coming out for coronavirus, like you said, they're specific for coronavirus. They're not going to help for the next strain of coronavirus. They're not going to help for the next strain of RSV um, or Epstein-Barr virus or whatever other virus is going to come around that's going to, you know, attack us. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, it's going to come down to, you know, how strong is your immune system? You know, you know, Dr. Fauci at some point in this said it's important to take vitamin C and D to have a healthy immune system, and he takes that. Um, of course, he wasn't censored for saying that, although others of us have been yeah. censored yeah. for saying that. Yeah, a lot of hypocrisy going on out there. But yeah, so these are important. And your book, um, I encourage everybody to get that book and it will give you right there all the details, all referenced, how these things like the mechanism of action that help these things really um, keep you strong and your immune system working properly. And then we move into, I think it was um, like the oxidative therapies. And I believe I learned from you that our bodies make hydrogen peroxide. I didn't know that until... I think you told me on the first one of the times I interviewed you. So our every cell in the body is bathed in hydrogen peroxide. You know, 
and uh, you know the organs make hydrogen peroxide and hydrogen peroxide uh, we can't live without it and it's manufactured does a lot of things for the body number one when hydrogen peroxide is broken down um, by peroxidase enzymes it's broken down into water and oxygen so it helps oxygenate tissue peroxide is also produced by our white blood cells to fight infections and it has uh, viremic effects and virucidal effects and bactericidal effects it kills both viruses and bacteria um, the lungs produce a tremendous amount of hydrogen peroxide especially when they're stressed um, so I mean, that's how I came up with using it to treat people with influenza-like illnesses. And, you know, I've morphed using, um, you know, nebulized therapy for people with COPD, lung cancer, you know, chronic coughs of unknown reason. Um, and it's really, you know, these are oxidative therapies. So they, they, they will provide oxygen, you know, through different mechanisms and, you know, hydrogen peroxide and ozone are you know some of the safest and easiest therapies to apply and to use and ozone's used worldwide except for this country. Yeah, uh, <laughs> used in poor countries because it's a cheap therapy and it it has you know antibacterial antiviral properties to it. It oxygenates tissues. Um, you know it, you can use it for arthritis of the joints and you know it's it's just an, it's an amazing therapy that it's too bad it's not done in the hospital when people are sick because it's when they need these therapies the most. Yeah, exactly. Um, and our next guest, um, after you will be Dr. Corey, and he blends the best of kind of both worlds, really. He, he brings in nutrients and brings in drugs to treat the hospitalized patients. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that they've ever done the hydrogen peroxide, though. Um, uh, how is the ozone administered? So ozone's a gas. It's O3. It has a third atom of ozone attached to O2, which is commonly what we think we're breathing through the atmosphere. And ozone is produced in the human body. Um, and you can, you can do ozone many different ways. It's, it's almost like um, when Forrest Gump's on that bus with uh, Bubba. And he's talking about the many ways of shrimp, you know, what, what you can do with all that shrimp. And so ozone, you can inject it. You can, you can, uh, you can use it rectally and vaginally. You can use it IV. Um, you know, there's, you can use it topically. There's many different ways to, to use ozone. And we do a bunch of these in our practice, depending on what the situation calls for, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable therapy and it's pretty, you know, it's very safe therapy. And I want to remind listeners that on this show, we're not giving any medical advice. We're just giving you information for you to explore and to seek out an excellent practitioner near you, um, get your book, and then talk to your preferred healthcare provider about doing some of these therapies and preparing yourself. You need to be prepared in advance. Don't wait until you get that that first chill or fever coming along, you know, you need to be ready um, for what you're going to do if you get sick. Um, and then your book is goes on, it talks about other therapies. And then you touch on vaccination, which is brave of you to put that in there. I have a long chapter on vaccination. And, you know, the the premise of the chapter is I hope it's safe and effective. And, you know, I think it would be a wonderful thing for people if it's safe and effective. The problem we've got is these haven't been properly studied. Mm -hmm. And, we're in the experimental phase right now because we really don't know how these things are going to react. And so I hope it's safe and effective, but you know, I'm taking a wait and see approach to it. And you know, I think there's good news and bad news out of it. The good news is we've moved the technology forward from 1930s technology, which most of the vaccines given today primarily 
you know, revolve around using old, old technology. And the problems in the 1930s are still present today. So maybe this new technology will be better, but we'll see. You know, yeah. nobody knows right now. It's all conjecture. And um, yeah, you know, and I what's... go the history of it. And, you know, one of the things I touch on in that chapter is the flu vaccine and, you know, the problems with the flu vaccine, which is mm -hmm. first designed in the around World War One. And um, the flu vaccine, you know, was really pushed in the U.S. in the 1970s to decrease pneumonia and death rates of the elderly. And really, there's been no change in that at all from the 1970s, even though now 60 or 70 percent of the elderly across the U.S. are get the flu vaccine every year. So and, you know, the other problem with the flu vaccine, there was a study that showed a 36 percent increased risk of coronavirus mm -hmm. to get the flu vaccine from a 20, either 19 or 2020 Department of Defense study. Yeah. And so I think that there's issues to consider and there's issues to talk about out there. And, you know, that was a long chapter. And, you know, I put the different vaccines in there and, you know, but, uh, you know, I, yeah. I hope I hope they work. But it's conjecture. We can, you know, nobody knows right now. Yeah, nobody knows, although it is concerning. I've read a lot of the research about this technology, mRNA lipid nanoparticle technology from 2017, 2018, 2019. And they were talking about the concerns they had with it, the um, hyper, you know, the hyperimmune response, the allergic response, autoimmune disorder, uh, some liver damage, different things. Well, they had not resolved any of these safety issues by the time they launched the product. Those issues still exist. So it's not like they solved them before they put these products out there. And it's all there for everybody to just go look, you know, go to PubMed and, and look up mRNA lipid nanoparticle and you're going to find... <laughs> The history of attempting to do this. So now I've got that history in this in this chapter. Oh, good, good, very good. Thank you. Well, that half hour went so very quick, Dr. Brownstein. I'm so grateful for your um, for just all that you're doing, for not giving up, for the gifts you give of sharing your information, as difficult as it is to share these days with the public. Um, your heart is gold and you're in the right place. So Thank everybody you. check out this wonderful book um, at drbrownstein.com. Uh, a last word? You know, the last chapter in the book I titled, um, you've got the chapters in front of me. What's that last chapter titled? This is our wake up call. So COVID-19 is our wake up call. We, we have 5% of the world's population. We have something like 30, 35% of the world's deaths. And um, it's the reason we're suffering with this is because we finished last or next to last in every single health indicator by the World Health Organization when we're compared to other Western countries. And you know, no one should be surprised that this happened. We're two thirds of us are overweight, one third are obese. We don't live as long as Western countries. We have more neonatal mortality, more maternal mortality at birth than any other Western country. You know, th th this is this should be our wake-up call, and it should yep. spur a Manhattan Project from the the U.S. government and you know President Biden to figure out what. Let's look back and see what's gone wrong. What have we done too much of? What have we done too little of? And how do we get out of this mess? Because look. Let's hope this vaccine's safe and effective. We already have over 400,000 dead. Um, the next one's going to come in a year or two or three or four. And we're going to be back in the same boat right now if we don't get our health ship in order. And, you know, exactly. This, this is our time. Yeah. Thank you for that. A wake up call from Dr. Brownstein. I'm on board.
Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, everybody. I'm coming up next after the break. We've got Dr. Pierre Corey. You've been listening to uh, 1150 AM KKNW and Inform Life Radio. We'll be right back. So you know, all healing begins in the cells, and for the cells to do their job, well, they need the right nutrients, like vitamin C and D, and gases, like oxygen. Did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen? Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy, HBOT for short, is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Welcome back to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Um, we've had a great hour and a half so far and another half hour to go, but I'm not seeing my guest, so he might be having a little bit of difficulty logging in with, with us today. So hopefully Dr. Pierre Corey will be here very soon. I'm going to ask my wonderful Eric engineer to kind of stand by here. I'm going to find a... Um, a video of Dr. Corey and let and see if perhaps if he um, is unable to join us, maybe his power out. You never know these days what's going to cause that. And uh, I'm going to find for you perhaps a video that we can stream. Um, 19 critical care group. I'm looking up. Uh, the COVID-19 critical care group, and it's not pulling up for me quickly because I'm not on my usual computer. 19, critical care. So we'll, we'll get this sorted out here. There we go. I'm gonna grab this and um, thank you everybody for bearing with us here. 
do this and I'm going to click on boom. Okay, Eric, I'm going to pop for you a, um, a link in our chat. If, um, and you will see um, if you're able to do this for me, if you're able to um, go to that link and you will see a video there. Um, if we could uh, share the screen and play that video would be great. So I'm going to tell while you uh, attempt to do that for me, I'm going to um, tell people a little bit about Dr. Corey. He is so amazing. This is a little edited version from his uh, curriculum vitae, if I pronounce that right, his CV. I want you to understand that he has the knowledge and experience to bring Senator, to the public and, and this life-saving information about COVID-19 treatments. Pierre Corey is the former chief of the critical care service and medical director of the Trauma and Life Support Center at the University of Wisconsin. He's considered one of the world pioneers in the use of ultrasound by physicians in the diagnosis and treatment of critically ill patients. He was, um, Dr. Corey is one of the pioneers in the U.S. in the research development and teaching of performing uh, therapeutic hypothermia to treat post-cardiac arrest patients. Known as a master educator, Dr. Corey has won numerous departmental and divisional teaching awards in every hospital he's worked at and has delivered hundreds of courses and invited lectures throughout his career. In collaboration with Dr. Paul Merrick, Dr. Corey researched, um, pioneered the research on septic shock patient treatments using high doses of intravenous ascorbic acid. That's vitamin C. Dr. Corey has led ICUs. Oh, wonderful. He says he have it. Uh, we'll go to that in just a second here. So Dr. Corey has led ICUs in multiple COVID-19 hotspots throughout the pandemic, having led his old ICU in New York City during their initial surge in May for five weeks. He traveled to COVID-19 hotspots to run COVID ICUs, and he learned so much along the way and saved so many patients. Um, so we're going to play for you the testimony he, he gave. I believe it was before a congressional hearing bringing the information about ivermectin, a treatment protocol um, that is so important. So I encourage you to watch this and do some research. I've got all the links on informedchoicewa.org. Um, all right, he's got it so I can share the screen. So radio listeners, bear with me here. And YouTubers, I'm going to pull this up here. Share sound. Share, see if we can get this going. And I'm going to play this here. And Senator, thank you, and, and thank you for, for uh, holding this hearing. I just want to start out. I didn't think I'd have to say this, but I want to register my offense at the ranking member's opening statement. I was discredited as a politician. I am a physician and a man of science. I have done nothing nothing but commit myself to scientific truth and the care of patients. And, and to hear that I'm here because of a political angle, I am not a politician, I'm a physician. I wanna start out by saying that I'm not speaking as an individual, I'm speaking on behalf of the organization that I'm a part of. We are a group of some of the most highly published physicians in the world. We have near 2,000 peer-reviewed publications among us led by Dr. Prof uh, Professor Paul Marek, who is our intellectual leader, we came together early on in the pandemic, and all we have sought is to review the world's literature on every facet of this disease, trying to develop effective protocols. You just mentioned 
that I was here in May and I touted, I wouldn't say touted, I recommended that it was critical that we use corticosteroids in this disease when all of the national and international healthcare organizations said we cannot use those. That turned out to be a life-saving recommendation. I am here again today with a new recommendation. In the last nine months, in our review of all of the literature as a group, <clears throat> again, we are some of the most highly published physicians in our specialty and the world. We have done nothing but try to figure out how to identify a repurposed and available drug to treat this illness. We have now come to the conclusion after nine months, and I, I have to point out, I am severely troubled by the fact that the NIH, the FDA, and the CDC, I do not know of any task force that was assigned or compiled to review repurposed drugs in an attempt to treat this disease. Everything has been about novel and or expensive pharmaceutically engineered drugs, things like tocilizumab and rendesivir and monoclonal antibodies and vaccines. We have 100 years of medicine development. We know we are expert in all the medicines we use, and I do not know of a task force that has been focused on repurposed drugs. I will tell you that my group and our organization, I will say that we have filled that void. We, that is all we have done is focus on the things we know and things we do. And I'm here to tell you, Dr. Ryder, he just presented. It was one, he has one study of the many that I want to talk about. And I want to talk about that we have a solution to this crisis. There is a drug that is proving to be of miraculous impact. And when I say miracle, I do not use that term lightly. And I don't want to be sensationalized when I say that. That is a scientific recommendation based on mountains of data that has emerged in the last three months. When I am told, and I just had to hear this in the opening sentence, that we are touting things that are not FDA or NIH recommended, let me be clear. The NIH, their recommendation on Evermectin, which is to not use it outside of controlled trials, is from August 27th. We are now in December. This is three to four months later. Mountains of data have emerged from, all, from many centers and countries around the world showing the miraculous effectiveness of Ivermectin. It basically obliterates transmission of this virus. If you take it, you will not get sick. I want to briefly summarize the data. My manuscript, again, published by some of the, 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 the most, con we have contributed more to the medical knowledge of our specialty in our careers than, than anyone else can claim as a group. And our manuscript, which was posted on Medicine Preprint Server, details all of this evidence. I want to briefly summarize it. Number one, we have evidence that ivermectin is effective not only in prophylaxis, in the prevention. If you take it, you will not get sick. We just came across a trial last night from Argentina by the lead investigator of ivermectin in Argentina, Dr. Hector Carvalho. They prophylaxed 800 healthcare workers. Not one got sick. In the 400 that they didn't prophylax with ivermectin, 58% got sick. 237 of those 400 got sick. If you take it, you will not get sick. It has immense and potent antiviral activity. We know that from the first study in Monash, it has made the bench to the bedside. Prophylaxis, we now have four large randomized controlled trials totaling over 1,500 patients, each trial showing 
that as a prophylaxis agent, it is immensely effective. You will not get sick. You will be protected from getting ill if you take it. <clears throat> In early outpatient treatment, we have three randomized controlled trials and multiple observation as well as case series showing that if you take ivermectin, the need for hospitalization and death will decrease. The most profound evidence we have is in the hospitalized patients. We have four randomized controlled trials there, multiple observation trials, all showing the same thing. You will not die, or you will die at much, much, much lower rates. Statistically significant, large magnitude results if you take ivermectin. It is proving to be a wonder drug. It has already won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2015 for its impacts on global health in the eradication of parasitic diseases. It is proving to be an immensely powerful antiviral and anti-inflammatory agent. It is critical for its use in this disease. We, again, stand by our manuscript. It is a scientific manuscript. It's been submitted for peer review. But please recognize, peer review takes time. It takes months. We do not have months. We have 100,000 patients in the hospital right now dying. I'm a lung specialist. I'm an ICU specialist. I've cared for more dying COVID patients than anyone can imagine. They're dying because they can't breathe. They can't breathe. They're on high flow <clears throat> oxygen delivery devices. They're on non-invasive ventilators and or they're sedated and paralyzed and attached to mechanical ventilators that breathe for them. And I watch them every day. They die. By the time they get immediate in the ICU, they're already dying. They're almost impossible to recover. Early treatment is key. We need to offload the hospitals. We are tired. I can't keep doing this. If you look at my manuscript and if I have to go back to work next week, any further deaths are gonna be needless deaths, and I cannot be traumatized by that. I cannot keep caring for patients when I know that they could have been saved with earlier treatment, and that drug that will treat them and prevent the hospitalization is ivermectin. This is, I am here today, I'm calling to action. The NIH, their last recommendation was August 27th. August 27th. I want to be clear, I am not here as a politician or a dramatist or, or sensationalizing what I'm recommending. I'm gonna be very clear and very simple. All I ask is for the NIH to review our data that we've compiled of all of the emerging data. We have almost 30 studies. Everyone is reliably and reproducibly positive showing the dramatic impacts of ivermectin. Please, I'm just asking that they review our manuscript. It is a serious manuscript by serious highly experienced physicians and researchers. We, we have, I cannot call on more credibility than we have. We're not just a, a random doctor who's saying that we have a cure. I don't wanna say I have a cure. I'm just asking, review our data. We have immense amounts of data to show that ivermectin must be implemented and implemented now. Senator, the last thing I wanna say is, you know who's dying here? It's, it's our African-American and Latino and elderly. It's some of the most disadvantaged and impoverished members of our society. They are dying at higher rates than anyone else. It's the most, it's, it's, it's the most severe discrepancy I've seen in my medical career. And we are responsible to protect those disadvantaged members. We have a special duty to provide countermeasures. The amount of evidence to show that ivermectin is life-saving and protective is so immense and the drug is so safe, my colleagues have talked about it, it must be instituted and implemented. I'm asking the NIH to review our data and come up with recommendations for society. Thank you. Okay, well thank Dr. Corey and I will, I will make you this guarantee we'll go ahead that and stop uh, there. before the...
Um, so that is, am I, am I back, Eric? I'm kind of new at this sheen screen sharing thing here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I got to pause this here. Um, you know, listeners, his, Dr. Corey's passion is, um, unparalleled. I have been, and Informed Choice Washington has been following the COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance from they when they first came out uh, with announcement um, of some treatments. And they initially um, were using hydroxychloroquine in part of their protocol. Uh, but then, you know, they didn't stop looking. They continued to look, to scour the globe, to look at everything, to find the best. And when they found the ivermectin, and it's being used all over the globe. It's it's not just here, like he was saying, all over the world, poor nations are using it. They can't afford not to. And it's just so appalling. After he gave that presentation and the presentation to the NIH, just a couple of days ago, the NIH did upgrade their recommendation um, to uh, from, I think it was like, do not recommend to a neutral status. And you have to understand that only one drug has a positive, we do recommend status, and that's remdesivir. And the World Health Organization has now come out and say it doesn't seem to help, and yet it's still got the NIH recommendation. Every other treatment protocol for COVID has a neutral, we don't know, there's not enough to say yes or no. So when it gets upgraded to this lukewarm, uh, neutral approach, you've got to bet it's something, it's important. And it's drug industry influence, I don't know what prevents them from taking a step further, but this is power. So you, I encourage you all to research, you can go to informchoicewa.org to our radio station page or look up ivermectin there. Um, you can go to the COVID-19, let me go to their page and read it off to you. Um, the website is covid19criticalcare.com and you can just view the testimony, read the published science, read the statements, and then share it. Share it with everybody. Bring it to your doctor. You can get um, prescriptions for this so far is still allowed that you can just have on, on hand for if you have been exposed or you're, you may be exposed. There is an alternative to getting an investigational vaccine. That alternative is ivermectin. It's also the nutritional therapies um, and taking care of your immune system, the way Dr. Brownstein talked about, you know, in our last half hour. Those are very important too. But, and I'm very much somebody who believes in uh, nature first, drugs last. But in the case of this pandemic, with so much fear out there, and so many people, as, as Dr. Corey was pointing out, so many people in the United States have very poor health. He said, we've got 5% of the world population and 55% of the cases. That's appalling. We have 5% of the world population, and we use 70%, 70% of all the prescription drugs. So, you know, there's really something wrong with how healthcare, sick care, the whole paradigm, which is what Informed Life Radio is all about. We need this revolution of health. The war on, the war on bacteria, the war on, on viruses is 
really old school. It's the old germ theory. Before they knew we had a gut biome, before they really understood the value of having optimal levels of vitamin A and C and D and enough sunshine and the original oxidative therapy, which is just a lot of good daily movement and good deep breathing, right? Exercise, hard work. All of that feeds the healthy immune system. We know that. We know from the, the CDC's own pages about the history of uh, diseases in the United States, the traditional ones, the, the viruses and the different things, that before even we, we brought um, antibiotics and vaccines on board, death from these infections plummeted. And they, they attribute it to clean water, access to nutritious food, you know, better housing, access to medical care, all of these things. All of these things support an immune system. But somehow along the way, our public health agencies decided that for communicable infections, especially for viruses, um, their, their tool of choice was going to be vaccines. And... And that sort of has landed us here. So somehow our public health agencies do not feel empowered to get behind these inexpensive, non-patentable approaches to health, to maintaining health. We have to fear disease instead of figuring out how to live safely and in harmony and with the tools, the proper tools that can, that can help us be resilient and as well as help us recover. So I, I hope Dr. Corey's well. I'll have to have him on the show another day. I'm, I'm really glad that we had access to his, his excellent testimony. Um, he's been speaking everywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed he even has a voice at this point. You hear his passion. It can be so frustrating. One of the most frustrating things there is is to have information that you know will help and nobody will listen to you. Um, you know, and that kind of reminds me of another really important subject of communication. Now I need to pull this up and see if I can follow. There's a brand new book that's coming out. Uh, let's see, I don't have it in front of me. Let me see, my brain's got a squirrel away. It's called, I believe, Underestimated. I'm going to look it up and see if I'm, um, you know, it's that time of day, people. Are y'all driving home from work? And I have, it's a time of day when you have the brain fade. Underestimated by Sky Horse Publishing. I found it. So there, this is a book that's um, available now for pre-order. And um, I had the honor and pr privilege of reading this, uh, an advanced copy of this book. It's by J.B. Hanley and his son, Jameson Handley. And I tell you, this book is so, so inspiring. I read it in a single setting, um, tears streaming down my face and, um, and a big old smile on my face at the same time, because it takes you on a journey. So in December, 2019, for, I guess I got to back up. So, um, Jameson Handley is a young a teen who um, regressed into autism as a child following vaccination. And he would be nonverbal um, with, you know, various issues that go with all of that. And his parents did not 
really know, you know, really what he knew. He didn't often seem to be tuned into his surroundings, paying attention to what was going on, you know, love him tremendously, try to give him every opportunity and all the education they could, but they didn't know for sure, you know, what limits he had. Um, and they, they've tried everything, everything in available, um, for him. And then, and then there's this new therapy that they were learned about. It wasn't a therapy. It was actually a communication method that they learned about in December of 2019. Um, and I've written a little bit about it. So in, in, the, in December 2019, when the rest of the world was beginning to just lock down from COVID, Jamie Handley began the journey of being unlocked. Fear and hiding and anxiety were sweeping the world, but Jamie, through this brand new method of communication, which you'll learn about in the book, for the first time ever was being set free. And when you read about that, I get the chills just thinking about it, you know, when for the first time ever, he could tell the world, he could tell his parents, he could tell his dad, you know, I hear you. I have always heard you. I'm here. And not only is this amazing kid still sort of nonverbal, but not without communication, brilliant, um, caring, loving, compassionate, amazingly forgiving forgiving considering how a lot of the world treated him i you know if you can imagine what it would be like to be somewhere where you're not able to do the fine motor skills you can't accomplish what you want you cannot get the words out and people around you are talking about you as if you're not even there saying things about you as if you were stupid and you understand everything they're saying what would you do how would you feel? It's, it's got to be the most frustrating thing any human being can go through. And of course, children who are experiencing this trapped inside themselves, unable to communicate, of course, they melt down. Of course, when they really want to say something or, you know, communicates and they can't, that's where the meltdowns come from. And so this book takes you on a journey, a journey of hope, if you know anybody with autism, you know, you've got to get, especially the nonverbal, get this book. Um, it's available uh, wherever books are sold, but it's by um, being published by the wonderful Skyhorse Publishing. It's called Underestimated, an Autism Miracle by J.B. Handley and Jameson Handley. Um, again, that's available for pre-order. And it really reminded me, you know, of... We're seeing in our world today such frustration and volatility and people having meltdowns. And one side of, you know, we've got, it's like our, our nation is divided in a whole bunch of halves, you know, liberal, conservative, and, you know, black and white and um, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, and, you know, everything. We're, we're just split. And it's like we have this massive communication problem. And that's why we're raging and having meltdowns because we have to figure out how to communicate. I think we can learn that from Jamie Handley in Underestimated.
And with that, I'm going to set you free to have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you again next week on at three o'clock between three and five on an informed life radio. This is Bernadette Pager on 1150 AM KKNW. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.